keep in mind, I've done no research yet and I haven't really thought about it, but my gut says um, everyone's going to be drafted Mike Trout first. He's got to be the far and away number one pick. But I am really liking Fernando Tatis Jr. Yeah. Nice, Dave. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dave. Thanks for joining Bob and I for our podcast, Thriving in Dystopia. And even though we always try and be professionals, sometimes we swear. So just know that going in. The deal. Um, about, man, it's it's been quite a tumultuous journey for this ring. I, um, I guess the ring story goes back to melting it down me and julie melted down our wedding rings sorry our my our mom's wedding ring and julie's grandma's wedding ring and we fused them together when we got married and i was just so not used to wearing a ring that i let i sized it and i was like yeah it feels comfortable like this and then the ring started falling off at random places and the first time I lost it, I was playing tetherball with a first grader, and it I had a just a glorious whack on the old tetherball, and it went flying like 30 feet. And then it went, I had about 50 first graders on the ground looking for it. And the second time where I really lost lost it was this day where we were hanging out. And all of a sudden I looked down, I noticed my ring was gone and I just like went through and I searched everything, but it's, it was like during COVID time. So I was like, it's gotta be in the house. It's like somewhere I'm going to find this. And I went through, like, I looked under every rug. I like tore the beds apart beds. Yeah. Me and Julie sleep in uh, separate twin beds. So <laughs> I tore her bed apart, my bed. Um, and then I like, I was like, I don't know where it is. I like was just so sad. And I'm like, Ugh. I was like, you know, I made hamburgers earlier today. Maybe it's like in the hamburgers because we had already like put the leftovers away at that point. And I went through with a spatula and I just started like smashing the hamburgers up. And inside the hamburger was my golden ring. It was the the ultimate oh kinder uber ashung. How do you say that one? Kinder Surpresa. (laughs) That's right. Oh my God. So does that have any connection to why you always eat hamburgers Uh, on the show? That's right. This is the season of the hamburger, isn't it, Bob? Season five, hamburger. Yeah, it is. (laughs) We should just call you uh, Blimpy from now on. Isn't that the guy who's always eating hamburgers on Popeye? Or is it Wimpy? Something like that. What is that guy's name? Is he eat? Does he eat hamburgers? And then Popeye kicks his ass with spinach. Yeah. Popeye would. <laughs> no, that's Bru- Brutus or something. Oh yeah, the, the like the blimpy guy. <laughs> He's I don't just know the... what he does. <laughs> He's Besides just a tagline. <laughs> well, howdy ho, everybody! I'm Blimpy. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, speaking uh, of hamburgers, did you know what they call? ground meat in vermont they call it hamburg hamburg so people will say hey can you put some hamburg on my pizza which is also like a weird thing that they do in vermont do you know what 
the Germans call the second largest uh, city in they Germany? They call it uh, Kaiserslautern. <laughs> Hamburg. <laughs> Hamburg. Yeah. Good one, Bob. Hey, um, while I got you here, just while I got you here, Bob, can I ask you a quick, uh, quick question? It's an etiquette question. Yeah, let me get... Yeah. yeah. Okay. So here, here's the thing. I like to go running. And yesterday, it's been like glorious in Colorado. We had back-to-back like 65-degree days. And as long-time listeners of the show know, we like to get out for a run before we get on the old cast. Yeah. It's like oh, the only the way best. to cast. You get a yep. fresh mug of... Fresh mug of water, fresh mug of coffee, and your legs feel like jello, and you're doing great. You know what I mean? Yeah. Me, me over here, Dave. I'm, I'm oh, me over here. Star. I'm going with verb, Bob. Anyhow, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. That uh, quick aside. Bob bought coffee from Boulder, had it shipped out to him, and I said. You know what, Bob? I'm going to one-up you. So I bought the best coffee in Santa Cruz and had it shipped out to me. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. how you do it in the pandemic. Uh, no, I love Boxcar. I, I drink it, uh, I don't know, once a month I get a bag. We, it's hard to find up here in Fort Collins, but um, especially in the pandemic, we don't go to Boulder very often. Okay, so back on the old etiquette question so yeah yesterday went for a like a nice run and we i had forgotten my mask but julie remembered hers and i just felt like dang we were running on the bike path and there was just like hordes of people out you know so i felt like a little sheepish about not having a mask and then today we both had masks on when we went on a run and we were on like a trail running by the old uh, Cottonwood Hollow trails. And I just feel like there was literally one older couple with masks on both days. And besides Julie and myself, I'm sure there was a few other people that I might have missed. But I'm curious what your thoughts are about mask wearing on walks and runs. And yeah. Like, is it, is it necessary? Number one. And I kind of get the feeling like you probably do it, but, um, like, does it actually like, can coronavirus spread in that situation or like, anyways, just want to get your feedback. My, you know, I've done a, a good amount of research on this. I've definitely had this question in my head and from my research, it is exceedingly um like rare that coronavirus would be spread like that um by like a runner i i think the two runners would have to basically like really come head to trip into each other and have a mouth kiss (laughs) yeah because in the outside the droplets the like breath dissipates, goes down, and then the sun also affects it, like, you know, decreases its rate of transmission. So I think it's exceedingly like that's just not how coronavirus gets spread. However, 
it, I, you know, it, there's something about me that says like, it's in spite of that, we should still have masks on. Um, I don't know why, you know, maybe, maybe because there is a small chance. Um, like for me, I like to see runners wear masks. Um, I myself have a mask and when I'm like near people, I put it on. And then when I run past them, I take it off or I like drop it to my chin. Um, because yeah, I mean, I, I hate running with a mask. Um, but yeah, so that's what I do. And my take on that matter, I guess just to add to that a little bit, I kind of feel like early on in the pandemic, like about a year ago, um, when like there was nobody outside and there was nothing to do and everything like was in like extreme lockdown. I feel like it was one of the great joys to go on a run, like just to run on like these big streets where there was no cars. And I feel like it was during a time where people were like unsure of their, like what was happening. Like, are we, a, is society like experienced a pandemic or is it overblown? And I, like really wanted to support mask culture, like the idea of wearing a mask and having it normalized. So that's, and I like still hold to that. Like the idea for me is I like, I hate wearing a mask, but I want, I want it to feel weird to be near somebody during a global pandemic that you like within six feet of another human being. I want that to feel like weird if you're not wearing a mask and like, Going way, way back, there was this, there was this, there's this thing that happens in Santa Cruz called the first rain, uh, naked run. And it's, it was this really funny thing where if, if you were ever in, if you were ever like running, so like the rain happens and then all of a sudden people like just start getting naked and there's like this big like mob of a hundred or somewhere between a hundred and a thousand people by the end of just like people running naked around campus in this big first fall rainstorm. And it's pretty glorious, but I feel like it's really funny to be around a lot of naked people when you're not wearing, when you're wearing clothes, you know what I mean? So it's like this feeling like, Oh my God, like there's a hundred naked people. And I feel like so embarrassed that I'm wearing my clothes right now. But like you flip that around and if you're the only naked person, you feel really like weird if there's like you're around like a hundred people and you're the only naked person. So I feel like there's this general like tipping point and I don't know. I feel like I want that to, f- I want to like support that in mask culture. So that's like one of the reasons I try and wear a mask. Yeah. I, I definitely support that. I think there should be like good mask culture is really important. That's super important. Um, Cause it's mostly about, like protecting other people, you know, that sense of like, I'm going to do this because I care about you. Um, and I think wearing double masks or N95s also definitely protects the individual mask wearer, but the primary thing is like the other. So I think it's really yeah. good practice to do that. Nice. Uh, well, Bob, how are you? You can hit the record button anytime, whenever you feel like it. And record. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, I'm doing well. It's 
And an interesting thing, here's another thing I want to talk with you about yeah. coronavirus related. We're in, uh, I think nationwide and it's different state to state, but like the one B phase of the vaccination rollout. And you, you know, we talked about this with you, you got your first shot as a K through 12 educator. Um, and I've done a ton of research on that exact category. You know, not always is it K through 12. It's often just labeled as educator. And I'm like, okay, so I guess, am I in that category? Um, and it, it's, it just seems so hard to tell because at UCSC, they're, they are um, vaccinating faculty, but the priority is for staff and people who work on campus. And UCSC is not super clear, although like people I know have gotten vaccinated, like faculty. It's I, I just have the, all these mixed feelings because I feel like I guess I feel like I should not be in that category. Like if I compare me and you, like you're in classrooms and I am in Zoom rooms, you know, and I there's, no, there's definitely no like I know for sure I will not be in a classroom at least until September. So. Like, I just don't think I'm in that category. Um, but yet other people who I'm pretty sure are not in that category are getting vaccinated based on that category. So just curious about your thoughts on that. Yeah, I I think it's actually, from what I've seen, the label is actually pre-K through 12, not just K through 12. Um, typically, because Julie, my partner, partner-in-chief, um, she... <laughs> Yeah, she got vaccinated um, and she gets her second dose uh, in six days. And yeah, so I think, I think there, that is, to me, it feels like a much higher priority than where you're at. Because do you feel like y'all are going to go back to actually teaching in a classroom next September or next, next year? Um, I actually do. Yeah. I think like we've gotten emails from our administration saying they're, they're gearing up for sort of a hybrid situation where they want to have maybe something like half the classes in the university, like the smaller classes, the ones that could be like more well ventilated and they want to prioritize first and second years in order to give them like a, a campus experience, which, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so it's like, unless something derails that, and of course it could, the university definitely wants that. Um, so I, I, I might be, I might be back in the classroom come September, but that being said, it's September, you know, and, you know, I could see myself being prioritized, I don't know, like May or June or something, but, you know, it, do, it just seems like, ugh. I'm not a K through 12. I'm like, I'm definitely right. not on the front line. Well, from what I've heard too, the way the rollouts are happening, like they are just like exponentially increasing, right? Because place, places. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we got the new Johnson and Johnson and then the government is just yeah. putting everything. And it sounds it. like come June, any person in the United States that wants the vaccine will be able to get it, right? And I definitely believe that there will be parts of the world like, you know, uh, like some random spot in the Ozarks where it's going to be pretty hard to get 
your vaccine, right? But I feel like coastal California, yeah, they're going to have their shit together to like prioritize that. So I think it makes sense to me for you to just like hold off a little bit because in a few months, everyone's going to have it. And by that point, you'll be able to do it. Um, I will say that like there is not a ton of like they are definitely willing to vaccinate basically anybody like on any given day. That's what I've heard. Like you, you just show up and they're like, are you yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. We, Something I like had to make an appointment, but I don't even know if I like need needed to do that. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah, like, so it was pretty interesting for me. I just like showed up and I literally just said my last name. Um, and like making my account, but I feel like, you know, in Fort Collins, there's, you know, Walgreens and Safeway does it. And if you just like randomly show up at the right time when they have someone there, you just like, yeah, they'll basically do anybody, you know? Um, so yeah, I think they're really just trying to get as many people through the door as possible. I feel like if you just showed up at a random vaccination place, Bob, you know what I mean? And you're like, yeah, I'm an educator. Yeah. I yeah, I don't worry about if I get there that they'll do it. I worry about more like yeah. the moral implications. Right. Yeah, of not it's, being it's on the front seemingly line. increasingly and I think we're like right at this point where it and by the time this episode comes out, I think that it's going to be more that like how to get people in the door and get them vaccinated as opposed to like actual actual vaccinations, right? Like especially yeah, at some point, the conversation is going to be like, how can we get those people who are yeah. against vaccines or whatever, or who are just, I mean, there's anti-vaxxers, but the bigger category is just people who think yeah. that it's not a problem, you know? They're not anti-vaxxers per se. Right. They just don't right. want to get vaccinated. Yeah. And I mean, that is something, right? Like, uh, we have a friend, Steve Owens and Elise Owens, who... Uh, you know, they got, they are pregnant right now. And I think it's an interesting idea of like, we don't really know what the vaccine will do to kids or like pregnancy or like fertility or any of that stuff. But it's also like, yeah, but we'll be fine. Right. <laughs> like we probably might even know because it's just like now so many people have been vaccinated, which probably includes yeah. people who are pregnant that we probably know to a degree um yeah uh, but yeah of course we don't know fully but yeah maybe all babies that got vaccinated during pregnancy will like be able to fly at age 40 which would be pretty sweet <laughs> uh, well we're thriving in it baby <laughs> i have one more covid thing i have to get off my chest um do you listen to the daily, the podcast? Uh, no, but I tell people I do. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Um, they had a very interesting episode about, uh, you might know this from other sources, but do, do you know how like Bill Gates is like incredibly deeply intertwined with uh, vaccinations uh, around the world? Yeah, that makes sense. He's like entwined in a lot of stuff. Like the amount of money he has in it is like more than like any government, but the United States, he's, he's probably like more important than the WHO. Um, it's fascinating because he's been in the game for 20, 25 years. 
And the interesting thing is he, he is a huge reason. His foundation is a huge reason that the global South is getting vaccines. Um, it seems like without Gates, like it's an awful apartheid situation where rich countries have, uh, have been hoarding the vaccines. Um, and Gates's foundation has helped like this thing called COVAX get the global South vaccinated to a degree. I mean, not nearly as much as they should be, but the interesting thing is the global South could have more vaccines already if intellectual property wasn't a thing. And, you know, Pfizer and Moderna would share their recipes. Um, but Gates is a, not a proponent of that. He believes in inner, like private intellectual property. Of course he does, because that's what Microsoft, you know, that's his whole thing. So it's an interesting contradiction where without Gates, there'd be nothing probably or very little. But with Gates, he's also blocking an actual, you know, equity situation from happening. So that that was a very interesting episode. Ah, yeah, that's cool. I yeah, I mean, I bet Mike, I bet Bill Gates doesn't use LibreOffice, right? Do you think do you think Bill Gates ever sends a Google Doc or is he only like sending through like Office 360 bullshit? Great question. I'm going to great question. I'm going to try and get Bill Gates on my uh my Gmail Google Doc. I'll share my file with him. Share the show notes with Bill Gates, bum. bill.gates@gmail.com. Oh, yeah. We here at the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Very exclusive sh- show notes. Yeah. Uh, department. It's you, me, Nadir and Bill Gates. <laughs> Oh, man. Ah, good stuff. Well, um, I bet we could go on quatching for a while here, Dave, but do you want to get to the yeah the heart of the show? The art yeah. parts of We're the just going to kind of wrap it all up, just sort of do that old reflection thing, as it were. And it's been a pretty good season. I feel like I really enjoyed when we avoided avoidance and we listened to music. That was a fun episode. Um, the humanure one kind of got my brain ticking more than any other. I feel like, oh yeah, there's some good stuff here. Like thinking about how um, humanure can compare to the prison industrial system. That was like pretty good. Um, I was hoping for a few more, whatchamacallits, um, like epiphanies and I'm we didn't get a guest on this season, which is the first guestless season. So yeah, that's, I don't know. I guess I'm curious to hear what your mini reflection is on the season. And then we'll kind of talk about how we're going to try and implement, you know? Perfect. Yeah. This season, I mean, I think we just barely get off episodes by the skin of our teeth. That's true. How, how busy we are. It, it doesn't sound like it. You know, we sound probably pretty relaxed, but we just barely. Yeah get these things off. Um, so hopefully we'll return to a little bit more spaciousness in, in subsequent seasons. And, you know, I wanted to start off my reflections just based on the data, Dave. I'm looking at the data oh, nice. per episode. Data guy. And um, I'm a data guy. I'm going to crunch the data a little bit. The, I will say that this season is where we've experienced a slight uptick in overall average download. So yeah. that feels good. Yeah. Who knows if it's just 
the time of the year or that there's something about this season that people are sinking their teeth into, but it yeah, be back, that's you know? true. Uh, we're back, baby. So yeah, the, <laughs> the, the most popular episode is the season opener confronting avoidance, avoid the noid with 51 downloads. And that is, I don't think it's just a product of being early because for example, the um, second episode is not even, oh, it's, it's, it's actually number six. And so, seven's not even out yet. That's right. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six. Sorry. It's five. And the, most popular non-season opener is the one you just mentioned, 39, confronting disgust and leading to poop positivism and system change. So people were into that. People, they want to see those connections of poop positivism. Uh, and here's another interesting, the least downloaded episode, 38, avoid, avoidance as a tool of white supremacy. And I think that's interesting too, huh? The casual avoidance of that topic shows the overall racism of our listening yeah. base. Yeah. Or maybe people are like, <laughs> we'll get that. We'll get to you later. I just want to, I just want to think yeah. about poop right now. Yeah. yeah exactly. You know, can I, can I interject? I mean, and yeah. Um, I, Julie was telling me a pretty good analogy about racism that I just wanted to pop in there for all those people um, expecting to just sit back and relax today. Um, she said she compared racism to dental hygiene and said that it's not just like you're either a racist or you're not. It's like a constant thing. And that's, that is what anti-racism is. It's the constant work of just like waking up and brushing your teeth morning and night and some of those afternoon listeners too but like i like i like that idea of like you know brushing up on your anti-racism you know what i mean yeah you can be passively racist but you cannot be passively anti-racist yeah good so there you go for all those people that didn't get to episode that uh whiteness i can't remember what it was titled but we we got you there we got you we'll get you some we'll get you some wokeness <laughs> yeah uh good stuff dave um so yeah just wanted to mention all that and this season it's definitely put things in perspective for me um i would say that i have wanted to confront more avoidance in my life. And in some ways I have, and in some ways I haven't, you know, by no means are we any kind of experts, you know, I think we're, we're having, I think it's just a constant struggle. Um, so it's, it's a good touchstone. Um, it's, I guess I have some, some gems, some, some, what would you call it? Some, uh, yeah, some takeaways in the season. Take, take, take away. Yeah. Take, 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 take away. Here are my takeaways. Yeah. I got four of them. Okay. I, one of them is, so they're all actually sort of, we didn't ever quite get to this episode. So I wanted to, my takeaways are in the framework of how to build the, you're like confronting muscles, how to like get to that point where you can be confronting more often. 
And here are my four things. So from the, when we were talking about Brene Brown, that like putting it on the burner, you know, like it's like we talked about procrastination, but if, if you put something like if you set an intention, basically, um, and like, you don't have to like get all stressed out. Like you have to confront it immediately, but putting, putting it in there as an intention is a good first step. And then that's things could percolate, you know? And so I think that's a good first step. My number two is like, you don't have to do this alone. Like reaching out to others and too often we think we have to take on the world alone and be in this individualistic mindset, but that's what friends, family networks are for. And so reaching out to others and trying to get some support is a good number two step. Three, um, the thing that we came up with early in the season, just this sort of thing to get things going is like, Confronting is really hard, but non-confronting can lead to things festering and getting out of hand um, or getting a lot worse. So that's kind of like a thing to get, get oneself motivated to do so. And my last one is I think we live in a avoidance, like afraid society um, that we teach people to avoid and probably in like a lot of implicit ways, like, you know, just certainly with capitalism, like buy these other things, take your mind off of it, um, take a vacation. Um, but I think just, I don't think we teach kids how to confront issues with themselves, like internal issues or like social issues. So I think that gives us the ability to have compassion for ourselves, compassion for others, that we just don't live in a, uh, a culture that supports um, avoiding or confronting avoidance. And it's up to us to develop that culture. And I think the people who are doing this the best are those who are developing uh, transformative justice work and um, what is known as like community accountability practices, which is coming out of a abolitionist framework. You know, if, if we can't, if we don't want to like rely on the police and prisons to solve social problems and we ourselves are going to have to do it. And so we need tools to do that and transformative justice, community accountability are, are those tools. And I think I reference her a lot, but Miriam Kaba is just such a valuable person. She's written a lot. And um, you, I mean, you, you cited her yourself in our white supremacy episode back in like number five, that article on, yes, we really do mean abolition. Um, and she has a new book out um, called We Do This Till We're Free. So those are my, my big takeaways, Dave. Download that on Audible. This week we're sponsored by Audible. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, that that'll never happen. There is an anarchist Audible that um, you can go listen to anarchist books for free on YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure I've mentioned that at some point. 
Um, yeah, those are good, Bob. Just today I was thinking about how oftentimes when I'm teaching, it's very easy to get lost in like this idea of, Oh, how do I want to put it? Like the ethereal, um, like, so for instance, I'm teaching each week. I pick a new social emotional lesson to sort of guide my week in my lesson planning, which like ties a lot of stuff together. Um, we start every day that way. We always do a journal prompt after lunch based on the social emotional lesson, the SEL lesson as it were. Um, yeah. And we, I also just like try and like find other parts throughout the day to like do that. Like when I'm doing my uh, check-in times with Mr. Peachtree, that's always a good time to like talk about the weekly lessons. And I have a board with all the weeks and the lessons. And this week, this upcoming week, we're going to be doing gratitude, um, which, you know, some of the other stuffs we've done, I guess I could pull that up. I have it right here. So the last weeks we did kindness, friendship, fixed mindset versus growth mindset, listening with your heart, your voice matters, and books can heal. Those are like the lessons we've done since being back in person. So we're doing gratitude this week. And I was trying to pick between stress and gratitude, like how we, how to deal with stress. I feel like a lot of social emotional stuff deals with gratitude, but we haven't really hammered on it yet. And, you know, I tend tend to just uh start by googling tips for practicing whatever like tips for practicing gratitude and i feel like oftentimes when i find a resource that's directed towards kids it's very much in like the practical way of doing it like get a gratitude jar after dinner each day write what you're grateful for and every friday like during family night, you get out your gratitude jar and you read what people have been grateful for during the week, you know? But then when you find, when you like happen upon like adults practicing gratitude, it's always so ethereal. Like it's up in the air and it's like not like something that's actually a tool for practicing. I feel like your takeaways in a lot of ways, like that can be really nice. It is like, I think people end up craving that a lot to have like a, like a physical thing that they can do or like something where like a gratitude jar basically, but like a gratitude jar for confrontation could be like, you know, something that people can do each day. Because like when, when you say like, make sure to smile more, that like doesn't really help. It doesn't help a kid, you know, that doesn't like help practice gratitude or like say thank you to more people or like, you know, give a person a hug. I don't know. That's, those are, those are like times, but it, it needs to be just like more set in stone, I think, for a lot of us in our practicing. Like, I think what you're saying is need more concrete examples or that it's not just so theoretical. And a lot of our episodes were at the like conceptual level, although we did try to bring in as many stories as we could this season to try to make it more concrete. And like, we're also, I mean, I'm just so curious, like, I think avoidance is something that you and I have a tendency towards. Yeah, for whatever reasons, host of different reasons. And um, so developing our avoidance, our confronting muscles is really important for us, but we're definitely not generalizing, you know, 
we know that there's likely some others out there like us, but there are definitely others who are, have that muscle well exercised and do a good job of this and would have been good actually to have them on the show a little bit more. Um, but we just couldn't get it off. Couldn't get the, the guests off this season. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah. So, but hopefully there's something in our stories that people can take like one or two things, even though their, their situations yeah. are, are very I different. I feel like that's, that's up to the listener, like what they want to take away from it. If maybe nothing, but I think that there's pieces that like, will speak to people and they're like, yeah, maybe I should do that. Or like, maybe this is how I'm going to like handle this situation. I will say that like I definitely went about it with the back burner approach of having this idea of because we start off the season with that story of a really hard day for me. And rather than avoiding a conflict between two kids, I like dealt with it and like that ended up going really good for me, even though I had no energy for it. And I feel like I've been like that moment has been like one of the backbones of the, you know. Because this season sort of coincided with me going back to teaching in person. Um, I think this is my eighth or ninth week of being in person as a teacher. So, well, it must have happened after that. Yeah, so I think this was my ninth week. Um, Anyways, yeah, I feel like it's definitely been on my mind, that story. And telling that story has been like, yeah, this is what I want. I want to not let conflict between students not feel resolved. I never want a day to end without seeking resolution because that is the most important thing. And it sucks because there was a few days where like literally as they're like walking home, like a snowball gets thrown or like something gets stomped or like who knows what. And it's like, ah, it's, you know, three fifteen, and you know, we get on the buses at three twenty. So it's like that, what can you do at that point? But, um, yeah, it is like, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like that back burner. I mentality has really helped me in my day to day. So that is my biggest takeaway and hope, hoping to build on that as we, you know, continue on into the, a part of the year, like, you know, as a teacher, there's, there's these, this year kind of gets broken up into four parts where you it's like storming, forming, performing. Uh, what's the last one? Norming. So storming, norming. Uh, it's wrong. It's norming, storming. Dave, you God. can study with Norman this Norman, Norman. Oh man, no wonder these kids are. No, so but I feel like we're like getting through the the because really the start of the year happened. Like this is the fourth start of our teaching year, you know, where we're finally like really doing it this time. That's right. And yeah. So anyways, I feel like we're, we're ready to start performing and I'm like excited about that. So I want to hold on to that and make sure that we don't lose all the hardships and hard talks that we've had over the last eight weeks. That's good, Dave. Yeah. Maybe I'll finish up with coming back to my original story as well. Um, I talked about that incident in my class. Um, and I reached out to both of those students and had one-on-ones and then all of us talked and led to a, like a deepening of intimacy or vulnerability within the classroom, which was good. I, yeah, I had 
that on my mind this quarter and another incident happened in another class like this quarter. Um, I'm not going to get into all of it, but it led to me taking the same approach, like reaching out to those students. Those students basically said like, it's what we're experiencing is anxiety from how much work is in this class, which is, I, I, th- I think I'm known for like not giving much work, but I'm teaching a research class and I'm having them do some actual research, meaning um, interviewing people and then analyzing those interviews. And so that high anxiety, they basically said what they need is like more support from me and my TA. So we like restructured the class to have more one-on-one meetings with them. And it has helped. And they've, their research projects are coming along, I think, pretty well. However, my God, like the amount of work that we've had to do to get them to this point has been like, yeah, just so much work. So my take home from that is, again, like confronting issues. It's not easy, you know? There's reasons why we don't do it, you know? There's like good reasons. It can, it's been a lot of work. And I think in the end, I'll be very happy with the way that students' projects finished up. But yeah, I, I just, and with that, like, we need to develop a culture where we can support each other, confronting issues. And, you know, for me, that would look like where I don't have to work my tail off, you know, um, in this pandemic, you know, working for a university that exploits everyone. Uh, but you know, what doesn't exploit everyone. So basically that the need for some real deep transformative change in society is, is real necessary here. Um, yep. So I'm going to end it there, Dave. And before we get to the dystopian rainbow, I have, a uh, another little question for you, but I want to give you the final word on the, the content. For yeah, season. I got, I feel like I've wrapped it up. So I feel great about that, Bob. Thanks for giving me that final word, but I, yeah, I want to hear your final question. Okay. Um, pivoting here and our listeners have to know this. They, they got to know this and I don't want to just put it on the far, you know, like at the end of the podcast. So Dave, our listeners look to you as a fantasy baseball oh, yeah. guru. And so theoretically, you're in a baseball league, fantasy baseball league, and you have the number one draft pick. Who are you going with for the number one draft pick in this Great. year? Great. I love that question. Um, keep in mind, I've done no research yet, and I haven't really thought about it. But my gut says... Um, everyone's going to be drafted Mike Trout first. He's got to be the far and away number one pick. But I am really liking Fernando Tatis Jr. Yeah. Nice, Dave. Yes, that makes so much sense. You you would totally be a Tatis Jr. guy. Yeah. What are the what's the what's the sabermetrics say? Uh, yeah, they do say Trout. Um, Trout is for people who don't know this. Uh, he's like chasing Babe Ruth and Willie Mays for the, like the best baseball player of all time. You know, that's his career is, is that type of career. And he's still, still number one. So you are right. But Tatis Jr. is at a premium position of shortstop and people loving him too. So I don't think anyone would, 
you know, condemn that pick. Nice. Good. Good. Yeah. And I seem to remember pitchers don't matter nearly as much as hitters. Is that true? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think there's different philosophies, but I think you and I eventually got to a philosophy of you can just pick up pitchers, you know, yeah. in a season. Um, you can pitchers emerge more than hitters do. Nice. Good. Well, I, I'm glad I'm in step with where I need to be, Bob. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, should we tell listeners that we're trying to form a fantasy baseball league? Don't tell them, Bob. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course. That's the best. Love to have you join. If you, when is our draft, Bob? Uh, we don't have one yet, but the season starts April 1st. Okay. So have to be before that. Yeah. And this episode won't come out for a while, right? This doesn't come out until like end of my spring break, True. the 20th ish, right? Good point. It's going to be close. Okay. Well, give us an email if you want in, people. Absolutely. Dave, I think we have one more dystopian rainbow, and I think it's me. Yep. Is that true? Yeah. You ready? Sing me in, would you? I'll do it. Carl Marks in the sky. Philip K. Dick can fly twice as high. I, robot, an android's dream of electric sheep rainbow. <laughs> uh, I never did get it, did I, Bob? No, you didn't get it. You never got uh, it, but you played around with it, and I, I do appreciate that. Yeah, that's good. What do you got? Good storm. What do you got for us? Oh, by the way, it is um, storm, norm, form, perform. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. All righty, Dave. My last dystopian rainbow of the season is a book called Octavia's Brood, Science Fiction Stories from Social Justice Movements. Do you know that one? Uh, nope. Know nothing about it. Who's the author? It is a collection of basically short story dystopias very much rooted in our society. Um, I think from mostly like women of color authors, Octavius Brood is a reference to Octavia Butler, Yep, the great Octavia Butler. Um, and so this book is, is really great. There's just like, like people writing from basically activists writing from different perspectives and movements the editors who are Adrian Marie Brown and Walida Imarishi, they reached out to some people who are authors, some people who are just activists and asked them to write. So it's a great like edited edition of dystopias and, you know, from that activist science, uh, social justice perspective, it's unlike anything I've ever read. And I've only read a few of the stories, but they're, they're quite good. Um, so check it out. Bob, we totally blew it. You know how we're supposed to sign off every one of these? How how were we? We're supposed to say, but don't take my word for it. Da da da. Oh yeah. God, yeah. Uh, well, at least we got there by the end of it, right? Yeah. Da da da. Yeah, man, that is just like a uh, Levar Burton. Man, that guy is a legend. You know. I don't know if you know this, Bob, but he is like a fan favorite to take over Alex Trebek's job of Jeopardy. Yeah, I'd support that in a minute. Yeah, do you think that any any insider knowledge, uh, any California knowledge about who's going to take Alex Trebek's job, Bob? You know, LeVar Burton is just so awesome. He's actually pretty far left. You know, he's pretty strong. 
sometimes pretty radical, actually. Um, so I feel like they're not going to give it to him. I mean, he, he's pretty good at, you know, getting it in there and being strategic, but he's just a little bit too far outside that mainstream Jeopardy box, I think, for him to get it. I mean, I'd love for him to get it, but you yeah. just know how the system works. Yeah. Hmm. Well, hey, how did our predictions come out last week? Anyone check those Golden Globes? Oh, right. Yeah. Um, I think we did like not great, <laughs> but not awful. <laughs> uh, oh, we did pretty good. Sasha Baron Cohen won um, for Borat. For Borat, but you wanted um, him for the for Chicago Seven. Ugh. Wow. And Regina King did not win. Who else did we have? Uh, I thought Nomadland was going to do well. Uh, yeah, I think it actually did do pretty well. Yeah, so maybe we did get that, and that was a, a you pick. Huh, well, what can you do, Bob? What you going to do about it? Not much. Get in touch with us. Get in, oh, right. Should ring us out. Let's see. Email Dave, DavePeachTree at gmail.com. You can get in touch with me. People don't know this, but I'm the Instagram guy. Uh, thriving underscore in underscore dystopia. You can tweet at us at bmaze19. Find Dave on TikTok. Uh, Dave Petrie at TikTok, doing some great <laughs> little fleets and reels and whatnot. And what's the last one? Oh, yeah, the website, thrivingdystopia.com. Thanks, Mix. Yeah, love it. All right, Bob, see you next week. Da da da. And we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Thriving Crew? Bob and Dave want to take a second to thank you for lending them your ears. They also want to thank the artists for making everything a little more beautiful. The intro song is In Heaven by Drake Stafford. Our audio is edited by the consummate and dexterous Nadir Chayetch. Web designed by Chris the Mixer Sawyer. And of course, visual art is by the prolific and enigmatic Joe Shine. And finally, our new outro song is Bashful by Ketza. See you next week. See you next week.